informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks for being with us here today. Jesse Allen here as we have a lot of ground to cover, talking agriculture and issues impacting rural America on our program today. Coming up here towards the end of the show, we're going to get an update on the United Soybean Board's February board meeting going on this week in Louisville, Kentucky. USB Chair Steve Reinhardt is going to join us to go through some of the topics that will be talked about at that board meeting. In segment three, we're going to talk with Josh Bakey, Farm Farm Progress Policy Editor. He is going to uh, join us to cover some of the uh, recent headline stories that he has been talking about throughout agriculture. We'll talk about some D.C. issues, I'm sure, and more. So looking forward to talking with Josh Bakey from Farm Progress coming up after the bottom of the hour. In segment two, we're going to get a look at weather for the week ahead Fairly benign and quiet to start off the week. DTN meteorologist John Baranek will join us for a weather update. And kicking things off here on the program, let's take a look at what's going on in the markets. Coming out of a three-day holiday weekend. And oh man, we got some green on the screen. Darren Newsom, senior market analyst at Bar Chart, joins us here on AOA. Darren. You know, a a long holiday weekend, it's always uh, interesting to come back into the markets uh, after a three-day weekend, Mm -hmm. but seems like uh, we're maybe finding, I don't know, a little value buying here. These grain markets have just been very oversold, and uh, we're Mm -hmm. starting off the week higher, Darren. Yeah, you know, and and not only did did the U.S. have a three-day holiday weekend that the rest of the world basically ignores. Uh, but China's week-long uh, Lunar New Year holiday came to an end over the weekend as well. And I think that's really the catalyst here. You know, as we looked at the overnight uh, trade and watched how it developed, it certainly looked like there was some commercial buying uh, coming into the soybean market pre- uh, predominantly. And we didn't, while we didn't see any export sales announced this morning as far as soybeans go, doesn't mean that there wasn't any. I mean, it's possible that, you know, they won't be announced to say tomorrow or maybe Thursday, or they might have been under the 100,000 metric ton reporting level. So we won't know them until another week down the road when we see our weekly export sales and shipments update. So, you know, it certainly had the feel, but you mentioned oversold and, and everything really was. Uh, we, you know, the last couple of weeks we've seen funds going to record large net short futures position the week before it was in soybeans then they extended it through tuesday they increased it through tuesday february 13th and then last you know last friday's report showed that the corn went to a new that the non-commercial traders in corn went to a new net short futures position of almost two hundred forty-six thousand contracts so you know, while this sounds incredibly bearish, it's actually still the most bullish factor out there for these markets because uh, we could see what's happened in wheat, uh, similar to what's happened in wheat, where, you know, really the only thing left to do is, is a round of short covering, particularly if fundamentals aren't that bearish and they're not. And that certainly seems to be, as you pointed out, uh, some of what we, some of what we saw coming out of the weekend. Well, I wonder too, uh, Darren, I, I believe it's that kind of that time of the month where we could start to see some open basis contracts against March futures, I would believe, start to maybe get priced or rolled over here this week. Is that something that you're going to be keeping an eye on as well here as we move through the week ahead? Yeah, it certainly could. Uh, it would not be surprising because you know there's still some of those uh, those open basis contracts you know, versus the March. So they're either going to have to price them, uh, which is going to be painful, or, you know, they're going to have to roll them, which, you know, in some of these markets we have seen, you know, the carry strengthen. But this also tells us as we move into March, we have to be very careful with basis market, with the cash market, uh, because if all of a sudden we start to see before before planting season, we start to see some of these leftover bushels from the 2023 harvest starting to make their way to town, uh, to town again, predominantly in corn. Uh, this could have, you know, this could be the next bearish leg. Uh, in these markets. So something we certainly have to keep a close eye on. Well, and looking at these markets as well, uh, you know, trying to get a little bit of a bounce here and you, you mm-hmm. brought up the the funds and, you know, the sales CFTC reports that we keep getting just showing mm-hmm. those record short positions here. It's something that I've been, I've been watching Darren is that, 
you know, with everything that has been so bearish to these markets, what's it going to take to to get a sizable rally potentially here in the grains? I mean, and, you know, starting the week off on a good note, but, you know, how how much steam could be in a rally like this, I guess, is something that I'm, I'm kind of keeping my eye on a little bit. Well, we know the fundamentals aren't there to really spark a huge rally. I mean, uh, the the D, the, uh, the National Corn Index uh, was calculated at 396, I believe, uh, last Friday, and and uh, that correlates to an available stocks to use figure of 13%. Both of those numbers are the most bearish supply and demand situation we've had since the end of October 2020. Uh, soybeans, we also saw, you know, the cash index weaker. You know, over the last number of months, both remain in long-term downtrends. So we know there's not a great fundamental reason. Uh, the, the bottom line fundamentals remain bearish. So again, if we're going to get this fund rally, uh, this this fund-led rally, it's going to come from short covering. It's not going to come from a change in fundamentals. And so while we do have this opportunity to see some short covering, longer term, if the fundamentals don't change. It just means that the door is still open for another round of selling at some point. That is unless we see U.S. stock indexes just take off or other commodity sectors, you know, really turn bullish. Something simply something similar to what we've seen in the softs, uh, where cocoa is just a runaway freight train. So everyone's kind of sitting waiting which market will be the next. It's probably not going to be in the grains. Could be in the softs. Uh, could possibly be in the livestock sector as well. So. You know, the funds are going to be looking at these sectors and are going to be weighing them out. You know, so if they continue to pull uh, money out of the uh, the grain sector, they've ridden it down as far as they want to go. They're probably not going to build a, a large net long position unless we see some sort of fundamental change. And then money's just going to simply roll over into equities or into some other sector that shows bullish fundamentals. Darren, how about the livestock sector? Cattle, hogs starting off the week fairly quiet on Tuesday. Any other notes in the protein sector for us? Yeah, the one thing we want to watch, uh, you know, they, they've had a nice run here recently, uh, particularly the cattle markets. And so what we have to be careful with, maybe, they get, maybe they're getting a little top heavy. And again, the seasonality of the U.S. stock indexes is to move lower in February and March. We really haven't seen a lot of it yet, but if it gains momentum this next month, it could put a little bit of pressure on the cattle markets in particular. So there is a tie between those two, so something, we, something we can certainly keep an eye on here uh, over the coming weeks. And, and two, I'm watching the energy complex, uh, kind of quiet to start the week, but obviously, uh, you know, watching more continued uh, potential volatility there with everything going on in the Middle East, et cetera. So energies, I know, always warrant watching, Darren. Yeah, they do, particularly this time of year, because this is when they really show a great deal of seasonal strength. And what I find interesting is that we might get a day or two, maybe we get a week where, you know, th that type of buying is seen. The commercial side really starts ramping up, but then it goes away. And then we fall off the next week and maybe the next after that. So it's really struggling. Uh, the sector as a whole is really struggling right now to build that type of uh, seasonal rally that we're used to. Uh, you know, some are going to point to natural gas. That's more of a weather play right now, you know, just as it continues to crash. Uh, but if we look at the, the crude oil distillates and, and RBOB, you know, again, their seasonal tendencies haven't changed. It's just that they can't find the consistent buying that they normally do this time of year. Darren, always good to have a conversation with you. Thanks for joining us here today on AOA. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Jesse. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst there at Bar Chart. All right, coming up next, we are going to get an update on what is moving with the weather forecast here in the U.S. and South America. We'll talk with DTN's John Baranek on the way next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home? And you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind. Like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Or that time you forgot to roll up your windows in the car wash. Fantastic. Yeah, a remote control would have come in handy then. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Life doesn't come with a remote control. So you're on your own with the wasps. You have the power to take control of pre-diabetes. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we take a look at the weather map here early in the week, things look relatively calm for much of the U.S., really east of the Rockies. Do got a system that we're keeping an eye on, though, out west in California, parts of the west coast. And we maybe have some potential for a little bit of a change as we get into next week as well. We're going to talk about it right now with DTN meteorologist John Baranek joining us here on AOA. John Good to talk with you again. Hope you enjoyed the uh, the long holiday weekend. I did, and, and at least we saw some temperatures warming up there at the tail end of it. You know, we got where I'm at in Minnesota. We had about six inches of snow last week, and a lot of that already started to melt off. So it'll be gone here either today or tomorrow. You know, just winter does not want to stick around very long here this winter. Well, I know in my neck of the woods uh, in Tennessee, you know, I stepped outside early in the morning, and temps were in like the the 30s it felt like and then by midday it was up into the 60s so it's like mm-hmm. getting that sense of false spring i think for some folks <laughs> in the mid-south this time of year you know because we have like what 12 seasons in the mid-south instead of four <laughs> but uh anyway um you know uh, the temperatures seem like they're holding fairly uh, above normal here for much of the country at least to start off this week and as I've noted, things uh, on the radar outside of the West Coast look pretty quiet here, John. Yeah, not really a whole lot going on as long as you're east of the Rockies. Um, we got uh, a ridge just popping up. It's going to bring in some some more warmth for us. And, you know, with the lack of snow cover just about everywhere, that means that goes right into building temperatures. So, you know, that's kind of the, what we've seen all winter long is this ridge just popping up and keeping everybody nice and warm. We do have that system out in the west, though, and that will make its way eastward here this week. Um, you know, as we're talking here on Tuesday, that that's kind of hitting California pretty decently, here, especially later today. But that system will get into kind of the central plains tomorrow night and then through the Midwest and Ohio Valley there on Thursday. But, you know, with how warm it is around it, uh, it looks like it's going to be all rain. And, you know, it's you know, usually when we're, we're talking 
you know, late February, we're talking at least some snow somewhere, but mm -hmm. no, not with this one. This one looks like it's going to be all rain. Well, I know too, last week we kind of saw, and I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit. Uh, we kind of saw the Clipper train start up mm -hmm. last week and, and worked its way through parts of the Northern Plains and the upper Midwest. Are we going to continue to see that Clipper train kind of run maybe later this week? I guess, what are we seeing for some of the, uh, the Northern parts of the country? Will we have any, any systems moving through as we go through the week? Uh, we do, but it's mostly up in Canada. So it's kind of shifted its way a little bit farther north than what we were looking at last week. Um, so, you know, if you live in Canada, if you're up north of the border there, it looks like we're going to have several systems moving through. Uh, they do scrape a couple of cold fronts across the Midwest and, and Northern Plains here late this week. And it might turn into a few light snow showers or something in the, in the east, uh, the Eastern Midwest, um, you know, late Friday night, Saturday morning. But, you know, we're not looking at anything either um, too significant on, on the one hand or a significant drop in temperatures either. Slight drop in temperatures behind some of these fronts up there across the northern states. But, you know, it's, you know, on the course, uh, uh, you know, going from significantly above normal of being, you know, 15 degrees above normal instead of, you know, being five degrees above normal. So, you know, mm -hmm. the, the <laughs> it's still warm even behind these fronts. It's kind of remarkable. We just yeah. haven't been able to tap into any real cold air outside of that, you know, small period there in, in uh, mid-January where we got significantly cold and we got a visit from the polar vortex and saw some major snowstorms move across the middle of the country. But outside of that little period there in mid-January, winter has just not really been around. It's been a lot like perpetual spring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thinking about winter not really being around, uh, you indicated to me uh, during the commercial break that we could see... Uh, something a little more active as we get into next week, the final week of the month of February. What exactly are you keeping an eye on? What could we see here next week, John? Yeah, what we've had, you know, typically during this winter is a big trough out either in Canada or over the U.S. But this weekend, we're going to see a, a big trough drop down into Western Canada. Now, it's not coming with a whole bunch of cold air, but it is coming with a whole bunch of energy, and it's going to suck in another piece of uh, trough that's off the West Coast as well and send a big storm system through the middle of the country next week. Looks, you know, um, models are actually pretty decent with the timing of it, which is unusual for being, you know, seven, eight, nine days away. Um, but it looks like a pretty, pretty good storm system is going to move through at least in two pieces, one that goes across the north, and that's not going to have too much of an impact. But another piece that, that comes off the Pacific there, that one should develop into a significant uh, a storm system for early to mid next week. Um, widespread precipitation looks likely, and it looks like it's going to be just cold enough uh, for some potential for some heavier snow in some spots. Don't know exactly where. It all depends on the track, of course. You know, the, the typical things we talk about as meteorologists, not knowing exactly where it's going to happen, you know, eight days out. But uh, it does look like a pretty good potential here for somewhere in the central plains up into the um, upper Midwest to get a, a stripe of, of significant snow out of it. We'll have to keep our eyes on just how much snow and where exactly that's going to be. Um, and then also some potential for some severe weather. I mean, I know a lot of people might be mm -hmm. going down to Commodity Classic down in Houston next week. And uh, we will have a front moving through there. Right now, it looks like a lot of that activity is off to the north. But uh, uh, you know, it's it's hard to be so close to the to the Gulf of Mexico down there in Houston and, and not see anything when the front goes by. So uh, we'll keep our eyes on that as well. All right, definitely, definitely. We're talking with DTN meteorologist John Baranek. John, let's move to South America. Give us some updates. What we're seeing in Brazil and Argentina, and I know. Uh, looking uh, over the weekend, it seemed like uh, we saw some decent rains in, in parts of South America. What are things looking like here? How are how are things shaping up here early this week? Yeah, the skies really opened up over central Brazil over the weekend. And, uh, you know, they saw widespread heavy rain down there. And they need it because uh, as they're planting their safrina corn, they've got some limited subsoil moisture right now. And uh, right now, they, I mean, they this time of year is really when they need to build it because they're not going to have these wet season rains for too much longer. They got about maybe, you know, four to six weeks of some good rainfall left in them before things start thinning out and uh, dying out and they hit their dry season by early May. So uh, they don't have a whole lot of time. So they were happy. I'm, I'm sure to see that, that heavier rain that continues all the way through this week. I know that'll probably uh, disrupt some of the field work that's going on, taking out their soybeans, planting some more of their corn, 
but they're in a pretty good spot right now uh, in terms of pace uh, for that. And I'm, I'm sure that they'll, they'll, they'd rather take the rain over not getting anything. They do go mm -hmm. isolated next week. Um, so that they'll, they'll be able to pick up on some of that field work, but, um, you know, central Brazil is in a good spot right now. Um, uh, what we're looking at though, is kind of Argentina and, and Southern Brazil. Uh, they had been drier last week. We didn't see a whole lot out of Argentina, but we do get this one front coming in here on Thursday into Argentina and that'll move North into Southern Brazil for the weekend. And it does look like it has a good wave of rain, but that does kick off kind of more active period here through this weekend and most of next week as well. We'll see multiple little waves of showers, uh, batches of scattered showers moving through a couple more fronts and uh, things kind of pick up for them a bit in terms of, of, of rainfall. So, um, you know, Argentina, I mean, we, we had talked about it for a while, just being in such good uh, weather for, for a long period here. Um, you know, they went through a pretty rough, hot and dry stretch for about two weeks there at the end of January and the early February. And they're, 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 they're hoping for that to kind of just come to an end and start really picking up on the rain to kind of finish out their crop season. Mm -hmm. um, over, overall, you know, with El Nino in place, it typically works out that way. And so, um, you know, this kind of stretch of more active weather we're seeing is probably going to be a good thing for them. Uh, but Southern Brazil has is, is, is been kind of odd. They had some, you know, I don't remember if everybody remembers, but we were talking about flooding rains and, and crazy amounts of rain back in October and November. And they've been kind of drier since, and they haven't been able to see sustained heavy rainfall for, for a long period of time, which is not like El Nino. So, um, you know, they're, they're kind of hoping for a little bit more down there. They've seen, they've seen crop conditions kind of waver good to bad to good to bad um, throughout the, throughout the course of the season so far. And, you know, they're, they're still planting, they plant some safrina corn down there in, uh, in Southern Brazil and, and they really need this rain to start picking up. And it looks like it will, at least for a brief time period here, uh, starting this weekend. John, before we let you go, any final thoughts, anything uh, you want to mention weather wise that folks just need to keep an eye on and pay attention to here this week? Yeah, El Nino's just been so strong, and that baseline feature has just been, you know, the theme of the winter. And even with these storm systems coming up here this week and next week, you know, I talked about that 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 major monster storm. Even the, the temperatures behind it go cold for like a day, and then we're back into the above normal temperatures. So um, we continue to be in that very warm pattern. We don't see any real semblance of of Arctic air coming in anytime soon. And man, if, if you do get some winter weather. Don't worry, it won't last very long. All righty. Well, we appreciate it, of course. DTN meteorologist John Baranek. John, thanks for joining us here on AOA. Always good to talk with you. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Thanks a lot for having me on, Jesse. All right. Look at the weather there with John Baranek from DTN. All right. Well, we are going to recap last week's USDA Ag Outlook Forum. We're going to uh, talk about some other issues impacting agriculture as well. We're going to have a conversation with Josh Bakey, Farm Policy Editor with Farm Progress. He joins us next on AOA, Agriculture of America. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Here's a check of the markets on AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Let's take a look at where things stand here as we're working through our Tuesday trade action. Getting a decent bounce across the board with the wheat trade moderately higher. Soybeans and corn also trading their way to 
the upside as well here. A little bit of a bounce as we are working through our session so far. That is a good thing to see. These markets very, very oversold, and that is something that is providing us with a little bit of support here as we work through our morning. We also saw a private export sale reported corn to Japan, 155,000 metric tons reported for the 24-25 marketing year. We also got a sale of 228,000 metric tons of soybean meal to the Philippines reported for delivery in the 23-24 marketing year. Coming out of a 3-day holiday Coming out of a 3-day holiday weekend, it is always interesting to watch how the markets react. Stock futures pointed lower overnight and things so far are trading a little bit lower with the Dow Jones down 50 points, 38,646. Crude oil prices quietly mixed even as they probe to Fresh 14-week highs, rising geopolitical risks provide support for crude oil prices while softening demand estimates limit gains thus far here this morning as well. Grain and oilseed sector, again, mostly higher, some speculative short covering. We did see a grain ship was severely damaged in an attack by Houthi rebels in the Red Sea here over the weekend as well. As we take a look at things, again, some moderate strength in the grains. Livestock's a little more mixed, trying to find some triple-digit strength in the hog market with cattle futures moderately to slightly lower as we work through trade. Could have a little bit of uh, uncertainty here through hogs and cattle until we get a better trend established for the week. That's a look at markets on AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding hey, eye Josh, disease are, attempted buddy? to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here on AOA today, Agriculture of America. Joining us now for a conversation, policy editor at Farm Progress, Josh Bakey is with us. Josh, it's good to talk with you again. How are you? Doing good, Jesse. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you spent time last week at the USDA Ag Outlook Forum in Washington, D.C., the 100th Ag Outlook Forum. I know a, a lot of various headlines came from that Outlook Forum, including uh, talk about a farm bill or lack of a farm bill. We got the new USDA baseline projections, things like that. Uh, share some thoughts from your experience last week at the Ag Outlook Forum just to start. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's it's an annual event. A lot of, uh, you know, pretty much everybody from USDA is there. Lots of different people in the agriculture industry. So lots of lots of good information, lots of uh, wonky talk there. But, uh, you know, I had a chance to, to speak with Secretary Vilsack a little bit about the farm bill. And, and uh, you know, I think it really showed uh, he's, he's normally a pretty mild mannered guy. And, and, and he uh, uh, showed a little bit of frustration with uh, the state of the farm bill negotiations. I think the day before the, uh, the forum started, he testified before the uh, House Agriculture Committee for almost five hours. And, you know, I asked him a little bit about the, the progress he thought that came from those meetings. And, and honestly, he categorized it as a wasted opportunity. Uh, you know, said he'd hope to have, you know, more constructive conversations, exploring, uh, you know, exploring some possible solutions. And instead, he felt, you know, it's just a lot of people kind of, you know, preaching to the choir, talking back and forth. And, and uh, you know, he was, he was just kind of really disappointed, it seemed, in the lack of progress towards uh, getting a new farm bill. Well, and that's a big talking point is just this lack of progress to get a new farm bill. We know that House Democrats and House Republicans especially continue to quarrel over certain aspects of a farm bill. We have some, uh, you know, some of that same thing going on on the Senate side as well. I mean, 
it just feels like the environment on Capitol Hill right now, Josh, feels like we're, we're running out of time ahead of a presidential election to try and get a farm bill done. Did you get some of that sense while you were in D.C. last week? Yeah, I think that's the general consensus all around. I mean, nobody's, you know, uh, at least no public officials are willing to say that openly at this point. But that's the general consensus, you know, if, if, no, if nothing happens here, uh, probably, you know, by the end of the spring, maybe early summer, we're, uh, you know, we're probably looking at another farm bill extension because once, you know, it gets to the summer election season, uh, it's going to be next impossible to, to, you know, get everybody together to get something done. And, you know, as always, I think the main, uh, the main sticking point is funding, you know, that there, there is a, you know, mutual desire between Democrats and Republicans to, you know, make some changes to, you know, crop insurance, farm support programs, uh, programs, uh, you know, there's a general, uh, you know, consensus to do that, but how to pay for it is, you know, the constant sticking point. And then the two issues in particular go back to, you know, nutrition funding and climate conservation programs. You know, Democrats have, have consistently uh, said they're, they're not going to accept any cuts to SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. They're not going to accept cuts to climate programs. They are instead looking for other ways. You know, the word I kept hearing at the forum was creative ways to find the funding to, to get these, you know, uh, more money to these other farm programs. The Republicans would like to to take repurpose money from the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Uh, if you crawl, it's called the Re Inflation Reduction Act, but in essence, it's a lot of climate programs, many of them, you know, affecting agriculture. Uh, you know, Chairman Thompson has, has said repeatedly that it would be better to have those funds, you know, within the farm bill and have programs that he says are, you know, better tailored to farmers. But Democrats see that as more of just a way to, uh, you know, is, is a trick basically to take away climate funding to put it to other priorities. And, you know, you have a similar argument with nutrition. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, the president authorized additional funds to uh, the, the thrifty food plan. Uh, you know, it added more money to the nutrition budget. Republicans see that as not necessary now. Democrats see that as a cut to uh, programs that assist the poor. And so far, there's just been no compromise uh, that, uh, between those two uh, points of view. Josh, I know last week as well, we got the uh, new 2022 Census of Agriculture, some of the headline notes from that, including the U.S. lost a little over 140,000 farms, according to the Ag Census. Was was the Ag Census data and something that was a, also a talking point last week while you were at the Ag Outlook Forum by chance? Yeah, it, it was. And I don't necessarily think that that uh, those, you know, reports of the number of farms declining was a surprise, but, it, you know, definitely highlighted the issue. And it highlights one of the things the Biden administration has really been pushing over the last couple of years is finding ways to keep uh, small and mid-sized farms in operation, you know, from, from their viewpoint, their, uh, you know, there can be other programs, you know, climate, for example, climate smart agriculture is a way to, you know, create, you know, additional, you know, revenue streams, uh, you know, other, other, as well as, you know, uh, initiatives to you know, improve biofuel production, potentially sustainable aviation fuel. So, you know, they, they have been, you know, Secretary Vilsack has been using that as a talking point, you know, to try to save smaller operations and then mm -hmm. he's put to, you know, save rural towns. But uh, again, I think it's something that everybody's concerned of, you know, how to address it. Uh, you know, that's, that, that's the bigger issue, I guess. We're talking with Farm Progress Policy Editor Josh Bakey here on AOA. Josh, some of the other stories you've been covering lately, uh, you had one up about the U.S.-Mexico corn dispute. And this is a story that I, I got to admit, I I've kind of lost track of this story and where it stands. Things have gone pretty quiet on this issue over uh, genetically modifying corn exports to Mexico from the U.S. But you uh, talked about on farmprogress.com how this dispute will likely be resolved this year. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, this one has been uh, dragging on for a while. But but in essence, over the past, you know, at least three to four years, uh, you know, started off with uh, Mexican President uh, Lopez Obrador uh, issuing a decree that was going to ban, you know, imported corn, genetically modified corn for human consumption. Uh, United States and Mexico for a while went back and forth negotiations. Uh, they were never able to come to agreement. So this passed uh, around early fall, if I remember, uh, finally under the terms of the United States, Mexico, Canada agreement, uh, the U.S. called for a dispute resolution panel, which basically, you know, is kind of like an arbitrator that will hear both sides. We'll hear the United States side, hear the Mexican side, and then uh, come up with a ruling over who's right and how to move forward within the terms of that trade agreement. Uh, last week, um, 
the news came out that that panel has now been picked. Uh, a date for the hearing has been set, uh, although that hasn't been released publicly yet last time I checked. But, you know, based on that timeline, the expectation is that the issue will be resolved one way or the other this year. Uh, and that also comes in the shadow of there's going to be uh, Mexico's going to have a presidential election in June and uh, they will be getting a new president. And there's also hope on the United States side that that, you know, along with a dispute resolution panel may ultimately resolve this issue. But, you know, again, that remains to be seen. Well, thinking about trade disputes, of course, it wasn't too long ago where we had a trade war with China. And I, I know, too, you you covered this uh, and this is something we haven't really touched on here on the show, but. Former President Donald Trump has suggested that if he were to be reelected, he suggested a 60% import tariff on China. That's a, that's a very interesting little nugget there that could have a, a very direct impact on agriculture, wouldn't it, Josh? Yeah, absolutely, it would. You know, if you recall back in uh, you know 2018, uh, you know, Ch uh, President Trump imposed some tariffs on Chinese goods, and that kind of led to a, a basically a trade war for the past uh, for, for about two years after that uh usda uh, i don't have the numbers in front of me but they you know according to them that was a significant hit to you know american farmers in terms of the exports uh, they were able to do and uh, so it, it was kind of a one-off comment you know which which as we all know you know former president trump is prone to do but you know we do know he has a history of imposing uh, imposing tariffs on China. So that, you know, should be taken seriously, whether 60% is actually a formal policy or just, you know, something throughout there on, on TV remains to be seen, but it is of, of concern. And, uh, you know, obviously this election year continues. Josh, another story I saw as well uh, in your recent articles, uh, the Chicken Council is looking at EPA proposals uh, that uh, they say are not helpful. They're arguing a food waste reduction plan should be reevaluated. Can you give us some details on that real quick? Yeah, yeah. Basically, there there's some proposed rules, uh, you know, gov governing that issue. That 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 uh, there's part of a larger effort to reduce food waste and and. Um, from their standpoint, the chicken producers say that that is, in many cases, it's an issue better left to them, that it's it's more efficient and ultimately will better meet the goal by having uh, voluntary standards within the industry reduce waste versus uh, rules down that they say may actually, you know, uh, run counter to the effort uh, that they're trying to do. Well, Josh, good thoughts as always. Uh, and I know, of course, you uh, stay up to date with a lot of the policy issues online at farmprogress.com. Any stories uh, coming up here this week or in the next uh, couple of weeks here before the end of the month that you are working on and covering that we should be paying attention for? You know, I, I think the big one uh, that's going to be coming up here again really quick is we're having yet another budget battle. Uh, you recall we, uh, you know, the appropriations package was uh, needed to be passed in September. That was extended to November and then to February. Now we're facing two deadlines, the beginning of March to fund uh, 12 different government agencies. And uh, really, it, it's kind of surprising how little has come out in terms of progress on that. But, you know, as we get to those deadlines, you're going to be looking at, uh, again, potential government shutdowns. Down, and I think the general consensus is nothing will happen on the farm bill until that issue is resolved. So, you know, that's going to be, you know, basically the first, uh, it's not just the farm bill, but basically anything else, you know, in Congress is kind of going to be held up by that. And then you throw in, you know, some of these other contentious issues like border security, aid mm -hmm. to Ukraine, aid to Israel. And, you know, it's going to be really telling in the next few weeks what happens here, I think, is going to be kind of a harbinger for what we can expect for the rest of the year. Well, a lot of things uh, that are in front of us, as you mentioned, and uh, we'll have to get you back on the program again in a couple of weeks once we maybe have some more news or some more answers to some of those issues. With that, Josh Bakey, Farm Policy, or Farm, Farm Policy Editor with Farm <laughs> Progress. Josh, thanks so much for joining us on AOA. Always good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jesse. I really appreciate it. All right, Josh Bakey there with Farm Progress. Coming up next, we're going to get an update on the February board meeting for the United Soybean Board with Steve Reinhardt, the chair of the USB. He joins us next on AOA. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. 
victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments, and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at V.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. We are the nation's largest integrated healthcare system, providing life-changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand in hand to provide full patient-centered care. Working in state-of-the-art facilities with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind, to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward-thinking that we're rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. It's National Grain Bin Safety Week. Today, we're talking with Laramie Sandquist, a risk management expert with Nationwide, about ways to stay safe around stored grain. Laramie, what are the primary risks working with stored grain? The primary risks are obviously the oxygen-deficient environment, the power equipment that you want to make sure is locked out and tagged out, and then getting to the root cause of why is this stuff not moving in the first place. Well, what safety precautions should everyone take around grain storage facilities? First and foremost, you know, we always say a zero entry mentality. If you don't have to go in, you shouldn't go in, don't go in, right? There are experts that are trained in how to do this. And if you do have an issue with the, with the condition of the grain and, and the bin itself, you uh, shouldn't go in those things in the first place. If for the reason you want to go in, obviously some of the steps we've already taken. Let's check the oxygen deficiency of that environment, make sure that there's no hazardous uh, oxygen in there. Uh, make sure that uh, you're locking and tagging out all of the powered equipment that are going on, making sure that you're not going in alone. Uh, make sure you have a spotter there, uh, someone that uh, you're in communication with at all times, and then obviously making sure that you have the right equipment to properly go into a bin itself. So anytime you're going into a, a, a hazardous confined space, you definitely need to have a plan in place, which includes having a spotter, which includes uh, talking with the authorities, meaning your local fire department. Well, what resources are available to help improve grain bin safety? You got grainbinsafetyweek.com. I'll say that again, grainbinsafetyweek.com has a lot of different resources from uh, white papers that are out there, from testimonials from people, from videos, uh, ways to work with grain safely. All of that stuff is out there. Thank you for joining us during National Grain Bin Safety Week on Around the Table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted card to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. 
let's get an update on the February board meeting of the United Soybean Board happening this week in Louisville, Kentucky. Joining us now, he is the chair of the United Soybean Board. Steve Reinhardt is with us. Steve, it's good to talk with you again. How are you? Uh, good. Good to be uh, on with you, Jesse, and uh, uh, talk a little bit about uh, what we're doing here at the United Soybean Board. Well, I know last year I was at the February board meeting, this exact meeting when it was in Nashville. This year, you guys have the February meeting in Louisville, as I mentioned. And uh, I know that during these meetings, you guys get a lot of work done. A lot of things are talked about uh, very, you know, very in depth with the United Soybean Board. So let's just start. What are some of the things that are going to be big topics here this week for the board meeting? Well, I think that uh, one of the the biggest thing we do here at the February board meeting is we're we're kind of uh, looking our, our at our investment list. So, what are some of the things that we want to uh, invest soybean checkoff dollars into to help uh, further the return back to the United uh, the soybean farmers in the United States? And uh, so, we have three uh, really big areas uh, within supply and demand that we look at. Uh, infrastructure and connectivity is one of those areas. Uh, health and nutrition, and then uh, we also look at uh, innovation and technology. And and uh, right now, probably innovation technology is one of the easier, uh, uh, more projects we're looking at. Uh, you know, how do we use soybean oil more? Uh, with sustainability has become a bigger and bigger issue. Uh, so any place that uh, you know we have things that are made with petroleum products, we're not necessarily trying to replace. Uh, Petroleum, but we're looking at how we can extend that uh, life and use soybean oil in that process, and and uh, so I think that's a, a really positive uh, thing we're doing there to help environmental impacts. But then we go back to infrastructure and connectivity, and you know, uh, up where you are in the Dakotas, uh, we could be just talking about rural broadband and how we can maybe help to extend that, and then well, how we can continue to uh, uh, keep our roads in good shape and improve our rail transportation and and be able to move that uh, soybean meal out of the Dakotas uh, to the West Coast that we can take to, to Asia. Well, I, I think, Steve, overall, the economic sustainability of soybeans is is a big topic, right? I mean, you know, some of those uses that you mentioned and finding new uses for soybeans here in the U.S. and for the U.S. farmer, that's that's a big thing that you guys do at the United Soybean Board to kind of continue the like I said, the economic sustainability of soybeans, right? Yep, and that's uh, one of the things we actually talked about this morning was uh, uh, we met at 7 o'clock this morning and we had a roundtable discussion on, uh, you know, what are we doing in the United States to, to create a sustainable uh, product? Uh, you know, how are soybeans raised and, and how, do that, uh, how does that relate to how people want to, you know, purchase their exports in the future and, and uh so we think we still have a great uh, story to tell there on how we can sustainably produce our soy here in the United States and and uh, use that as another marketing uh, uh, tool as we go around the world and, and look at uh, feeding that supply or that demand for that product. Steve, I know that things like sustainable aviation fuel have been a very hot topic in agriculture, and I know soy can have a role in SAF with with biodiesel and things like that, and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, things like SAF, is that going to be something that's going to be talked about amongst the board here this week and potential investments and growth on things like SAF and other clean fuels uh, potentially? Yeah, so uh, we're a, a big supporter of Clean Fuels, and uh, uh, Clean Fuels America just had their uh, board meeting uh, a couple weeks ago, and and uh, that's one of the areas that we have them uh, kind of focusing on is how we can continue to build out not only biodiesel, but also build out renewable diesel and, and then sustainable aviation fuel, make sure that uh, soy and, and uh, you know, can play in that uh, market as well, and as we continue to look at those uh, that build out, I mean, uh, you know, we're looking at uh, uh, just in two years, soybean oil uh, used in biofuels has increased from 8.9 billion pounds uh, to you know 12.5 billion pounds, and uh, that's just going to continue to scale up as we we see more of those uh, types of fuels come online. 
We are talking with the chair of the United Soybean Board, Steve Reinhardt, here on AOA. Steve, again, you know, I know just when you guys get together, all the board members for the United Soybean Board, there's always a lot of ideas that are talked about. You guys have great conversations. Looking here at your year ahead as the chair, I mean, and going into this meeting, what are some other things that are on your mind that you would like to see USB work on? What is kind of your mission and your goals as chair here as we go throughout the year? Yeah, I think that uh, one of the things that we're just continuing to work on is how we can uh, um, keep people more informed and, and uh, you know, make sure that we have uh, – uh, a real clear vision, and we want to make sure that we keep the soybean farmer in mind and and uh, make sure that we're returning that uh, investment back to them uh, through the checkoff program. And, and we're going to have a new uh, ROI study this year, and it's going to be an interesting study as we look back at the last five years, and, and we know we've had some uh, trade issues. We know we've had COVID. Uh, there's been those market disruptors uh, in there to kind of affect that, and and that's going to be interesting to see how that takes place. And uh, But I think just making sure that we look at the, the big picture products uh, out there, the, the biofuels, renewable diesel, uh, new uses, uh, making sure our infrastructure is uh, uh, strong, and, and that's still a, a great competitive advantage that we have. And uh, so I think those are all, you know, things we continue to look at, uh, a life cycle analysis of uh you know, how does uh, U.S. soybean uh, compare to soybeans produced around the world as far as, uh, you know, their carbon intensity score? That's still a big thing that we uh, hear about. And, and how do we continue to make sure that uh, uh, we can prove uh, that we're, you know, the, the uh, most sustainable soybean uh, option mm-hmm. out there? Well, Steve, great stuff. I know folks can learn more at unitedsoybean.org. Appreciate you joining us, and we'll be watching for updates from the board meeting this week. Thanks for being with us on AOA. All right, Steve Reinhard there, the chair of the United Soybean Board. We're out of time on AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. When news happens in agriculture or when the markets are moving, we've got you covered as your trusted voice in agriculture. The team at the American Ag Network has the knowledge and experience to keep you informed on the issues impacting farmers and ranchers. We've got you covered on air, online, and on demand. Find the American Ag Network on your favorite social media platforms and also follow the American Ag Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We are the American Ag Network. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Get the latest bonus interviews, exclusive content, and more with the American Ag Today podcast. Just search for American Ag Today and give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts.